Hi, I'm Cam, and along with my daughter Anna, we produce the Transgender Podcast. This is a bonus cut taken from our earlier discussion on anti-trans legislation and trans representation in politics in the Birds Are Trans episode. If this is your first time listening to our podcast, welcome. I hope you find this information helpful. Anti-trans legislation and LGBTQA suppressing policies are not just harmful to our society as a whole. It's literally killing queer kids. It will take bold action from cisgender allies right now to make positive change. Enjoy the episode. with humans who have power in our society right now because there is an awful lot of anti-trans legislation being presented in state legislatures across the United States, including in our own state. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what's going on with politics and get some reaction from you about what that all looks like. Yeah, you know, I, I don't follow politics as closely as I know a lot of people do. Mainly that's because I don't have enough mental capacity in my life to follow all of what politics are doing. But when it comes time to like actually following topics that I really care about, like trans topics, I do try and follow along. And I just have to say, fuck what's going on in trans politics right now. It is so bad with all of the sports bills that are going out. And I'm sure that we'll get into a lot more. But yeah, just let's stop being transphobic, please. <laughs> Let's start with the sports bill because you brought that up. So a lot of states are presenting bills related to trans athletics, uh, given the political and, and media discourse that's going on around that. So most of these bills, I mean, we're looking at, you know, one in probably half of states right now. A lot of them have language like, if you are going to participate in a sport, it will be based on your biological sex, and here are three ways we will determine your biological sex. And I'm so sorry because this is really triggering, but yep. the student's internal and external reproductive anatomy is the very first one. Okay, now if we can't figure that out, then the second is the normal levels of testosterone, whatever that means. And then if that can't determine, then they do an analysis of the student's genetic makeup. So those okay. are the three benchmarks. So we're first going to strip kids down and look at their genitalia. Then we're going to subject children to societal standards of what men and women are supposed to be like with how, you know, our bodies produce hormones. And then they're going to be like, well, we still don't have clear enough evidence, so let's get a fucking genetic test up in here and measure your fucking chromosomes, which, as we have discussed so many goddamn times, is actually nothing. And let me say that the word testosterone here is extremely important because all of these bills are targeted specifically at trans women. Oh, yeah, no, sports bills are always targeted at trans women. Like, it's the thought that men... And people who are assigned male at birth are inherently better at sports because of some nonsense reason, which I just find fucking ridiculous. Like, I, I suck at sports, and I know a million other women who could kick my fucking ass if they wanted to. So... Let's get close to home for you and I and say what I just read you about those sort of three litmus tests comes from the Arizona bill. But hey, guess who also has that written in their bill? Uh, Minnesota. 
our bill contains that. The only difference in language is the three, the number three in the benchmark is to analyze a student's chromosomes. So that's really specific about nonsense science. I love that. Thanks for making it clear that Minnesota legislatures know nothing about genetics and know nothing about what makes somebody who they are. And the lobbying groups that push these bills send a lot of this language out to legislators for them to just be able to copy and paste, which is why so many of these are very similar. And where they get even more similar is when you look at anti-trans health bills. So there are, I think, I'm counting about 10 of those that are being presented right now, and they almost all say exactly the same thing. And that is some varying level of... This bill will make it a felony for any healthcare professional to affirm a youth's gender by means of appropriate medically recommended treatment. It includes the word appropriate, by the way. So they agree that trans youth and trans people in general, it is appropriate for us to take the medical ne- like necessary steps for our transition. But they're like, ah, but yes, doctors and other healthcare providers can be found legally negligent was it for affirming a youth's gender identity that's that's bullshit well and this is specifically it is a felony to affirm a youth's gender to recommend them for treatment so that's it's not it's not a felony to recognize the gender of a youth but but it is to say like you should probably go for hormone therapy or something like that that's that's just utter nonsense I have diagnosed you with dysphoria, and we have medical care that we can provide for that. And it is now a felony to provide that kind of medical care. In a couple of states, there is also this sort of um, new thing that our Republican uh, folks in the United States like to be adding to these sorts of bills, which is the private right to sue. And we saw this in California with uh, abortion as a a tool for— I saw somebody do something, and I have the right now to sue you personally for seeing that you provided abortion care for somebody. I quote, saw you do something, and quote. Right. You know, it's not, it. oh, you told me this really personal fact about yourself that you got an abortion or something like that. Well, now I'm going to sue you. You know, like, that's that's the kind of shit that we're talking about. There's no, like... I saw you walk into an abortion clinic and I'm going to sue you for that. Like that, that happens so irregularly in my research and experience that, you know, these are just, he said, she said cases. I agree. And, and so that makes it even scarier. It's scary that we've added this right for private lawsuits for things that are not affecting the other party, except for in this sort of my morality is at issue here, I guess is where they are <laughs> playing that out. But my morality uh, is tarnished. How dare you? I, yeah, I, I thought about you having an abortion and now <laughs> I'm questioning my religion. I mean, I just like, I don't even know how that morality piece can go. So the last kind of uh, bills that I want to talk about our education bills right now. And in particular, in this country, there's a lot of legislation around, quote unquote, critical race theory. God. 
I don't want to talk about critical race theory because that's a different podcast. What I want to talk about is intersectionality in education legislation, because a number of these bills that are specifically targeting critical race theory add in this sort of overarching disclaimer that as an educator, you cannot require your students to learn about how they have historically oppressed people based on their sex, their gender, their uh, sexuality, their race, race religion. their religion. Yep. I mean, any of those kinds of factors that you cannot make a student feel bad for what their ancestors might have done. And that is very scary because that is erasing history and not allowing educators to talk about important issues about oppression in our in our history. This is complete bullshit. Like it, history is meant to help us learn and make sure that we don't repeat the mistakes of the past. What these people are basically saying is, "Oh, things like the Holocaust or the slave trade." No, you know what? Those those are okay. We can actually talk about we we can like we don't need to talk about those because if they happen again, like we'll deal with it. And like, no, we won't. No, we won't. We will die. All of us who are listening to this podcast will probably die. <laughs> so let's maybe talk about it. If you don't talk about history, you're doomed to repeat it. And this is my take on that. There is a section of our country that wants to repeat history. And oh, that yeah. is the scariest part. And that part of our country has become more vocal and more prominent in our view in the last six years than I ever thought could possibly be. So let's get to the lighter note because I think you will appreciate this. There are a number of prominent trans individuals in office in our country, and I want to start right in our own backyard here. Uh, Andrea Jenkins made history in 2017, uh, the first African-American openly trans woman elected to office in the entire United States. She serves on the Minneapolis City Council and recently was unanimously chosen as the council's president. It's such a big step forward. And like, there are a lot of issues with Minnesota, but I can appreciate that we are a very good source for trans representation and moving forward the transgender values and our importance in society and as a people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're lucky to live I'm, in this I'm state. so happy. Like, and that's not to say like Minnesota, like I said, has a lot of our own problems. <laughs> Just like every state does. A few more folks that I wanted to highlight here. Danica Roem was elected not long after Andrea Jenkins was first elected. Danica was elected to the Virginia House of Delegates in 2017, winning against an opponent who called himself Virginia's chief homophobe. Oh, I remember this. Good job, Virginia. And was reelected in 2019. Uh, Sarah McBride is the first openly transgender state senator serving in the Delaware Senate. They were elected in 2020 and is the highest ranking transgender elected official in the U.S. right now. They also had started in 2012 by working for the White House as the first openly transgender person there and was the first openly transgender person to talk at a Democratic National Convention, which is a big platform for someone who is trans. Very, very big. A couple more I want to highlight. Uh, Mahogany was elected to the Democratic County Central Committee in March 2020, and then again in 2021. Uh, Mahogany, well known for being on season five of RuPaul's Drag Race. So that was <laughs> pretty cool as well. Nice. 
Uh, and then the last one I want to talk about was um, Jerry Cannon and Lisa Bunker, who were both elected in 2018 to um, the New Hampshire uh, legislature. And that makes them the only state with two transgender lawmakers serving simultaneously. In 2019, they co-sponsored a transgender rights bill, uh, adding gender identity to the state's existing non-discrimination legislation, and then a separate bill adding a gender marker of X for other on New Hampshire's driver's license. By the way, to all my non-binary folks, please look into this the next time you you renew your license, because we do have that in Minnesota, and it is fantastic. And this is why diverse representation in politics is so absolutely vital, because there are so many things that can make everyone's life better when we have more voices at the table. Well, you're saying that straight white men don't understand what it's like to be trans, gay, not white, something like that? No, I don't. I mean, (laughs) I don't know those things, not I don't say that. Oh, no. I said the wrong thing. No, I mean, I we're talking about politics and, you know, I'm always a person who says I want to see people who don't look like me in politics and I will happily work the campaigns and support the the politicians who are going to be able to bring diverse voices. It's one thing to be able to come there with an equity and justice lens as a, you know, white man a middle-aged white man, but it's much better to have somebody there who actually has the lived experience and can represent the the needs of people who are not uh, middle-aged white men. So that leads me to what can you do? And, you know, I think the easy answer for me is if you are a trans person who might have served on debate team, whether you did or not, and you have some idea of the issues that are important to you, Getting involved in politics is is huge. And it seems like a pretty high barrier, but there's actually a lot of roles in politics that you can play to sort of get your toes in the water. Being a delegate for your state, um, you know, serving on a commission locally, your Human Rights Commission is a logical place for somebody who is interested in human rights to serve and um, get their voice heard. And then you may find that you like it and seek higher office from there. Additionally, we also have other ways to participate in raising trans voices and trans opinions, such as building up platforms like I'm doing with this podcast, putting your name on lists and bills to send your legislators to let them know that this is what you want to have happen in politics. And I know that like, I know that I'm not built for politics, but I think I'm pretty funny. So I built a, I built a platform to get my, get my words out and you guys can do the same, even if you're not super into politics. Contacting your representatives is always a great option, and a lot of the information I have on bills that are currently out came from freedomforallamericans.org, which is uh, has a legislative tractor that can help you find all these things. Um, we'll for sure put that in the episode description so that you can get to that information, and they have ways to contact your representatives so that you can fight these bills. The last thing I wanted to say was, related to this, uh, Sydney McElroy, who is someone that we follow, she's a podcaster. Um, she is on Sawbones, which we both like, a medical history podcast, just announced today that she is running for the uh, House of Delegates for West Virginia, where they live. And why I am so excited about that is Sydney, well, a cis white woman, is a huge advocate for trans rights. And as a, as a medical professional, has really been a leading voice for what transgender 
transgender health care should look like in this country, to think of her serving her state on uh, the West Virginia uh, House of Delegates is just it's incredible to me. It would be a huge win for, for West yeah. Virginia. Cindy Mac, as a trans person, I can say Cindy McElroy is an amazing source and speaker on trans issues for being cis. Sawbones, the medical history podcast that she and her husband Justin host, has had trans people on the podcast. They've talked about queer issues before. She does a very, very good job of talking about it eloquently and making sure that it is well understood. And I know that she is actively involved in her community as well, advancing trans and queer issues in West Virginia and Huntington, where she lives. So shout out to Zinni McElroy. I couldn't be more happy that she's running for West Virginia.